Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be discussing the NBA, what's going on in the offseason and the summer league. We'll be discussing the NFL, what's happening in their offseason. And we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow on social media. We're on threads. Um, so Twitter, threads, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, wherever you want to get us, your favorite social medias, we are there. Uh, so don't forget to follow us, share, like, and comment on those posts as well. I love getting you guys' feedback. That's one of the best ways I can do it. So, as always, don't forget, sit back and get ready to learn something. about a month um when you guys hear this it'll be about a month um since i last recorded took a decent break it was supposed to be a couple of weeks guys um profit transparency which i wasn't really feeling up um for it the past couple weeks i wanted to get definitely um it seemed like every time i wanted to record life happened um but i'm gonna make sure i'm back on the consistent once a week like you guys like it like you guys love it and you guys tell me that you enjoy it um, so we're going to go back to our once a week schedule. Um, took a nice break. Like I said, about a four week break. Actually, I checked, uh, the last podcast came out June 13th. You guys will hear this June 14th. Um, so therefore, like I said, about, um, June 14th, the 15th, sorry. Um, so therefore about a month long break. Um, so hope you guys missed me. Um, but I am back ready to go, ready to roll. Um, and let's get right into it. So, of course, if you heard in the intro, um, we're now on Threads. So make sure you follow Threads and also pump up the social medias, guys. Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Threads, TikTok. We're on all five of those social medias. Uh, so make sure that you guys give a like and a follow there. Turn on those post notifications. And, of course, uh, get in iTunes and Spotify um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and share those podcasts, leave your feedback, leave your rating. I love five stars, but of course, life happens. It may not be your best episode, it may not be my best episode. Um, so give your honest, brutal opinion. If it, if it is brutal, prefer it not be, but if it is, it is. Um, so give your honest opinion there. But let's jump right into this. Uh, we're going to jump right into the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Um, it is free agency period. Um and of course, it kicks off June 30th, uh, and the money went flying. Uh, Rich Paul made his clients about $600 million in the first week. Um, you know, he himself, of course, that 3%, he made $18 million in about a week. Um, so kudos to Chris, uh, to Rich Paul. Um, we had massive trades go down. We had Chris Paul getting traded from the Phoenix Suns um, to the Washington Wizards. Um, and we're going to start off, actually, we're going to start off, we're going to stay in Phoenix for a minute. I'm going to start off with Matt Ishbia. Matt Ishbia, um, if you've never heard of him, he's the recent owner, the newest owner in the NBA. He's been owning the Phoenix Suns uh, of the NBA and the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA for all of about six months at this point. Um, he bought in, obviously, after Robert Sarver 
uh, the investigation into the son's practices as far as how they treat people, racism, and things of that, other things of that nature. Um, Robert Sauber was forced to sell, and therefore he sold to Matt Ishbia, who's in the mortgage lending business uh, by trade. Um, similar to Dan Gilbert, who has Rocket Mortgage, which is why the Cleveland Cavaliers arena is a Rocket Mortgage arena instead of the Quicken Loans arena like it was in LeBron's day, uh, because Dan Gilbert um, sponsors his own arena, basically. Um, but so HBA came in, 29 out of 30 owners approved it. Um, Dan Gilbert actually uh, didn't vote and he uh, recused himself due to a potential lack of um, uh, potential bias. I couldn't think of the word I was looking for, but potential bias towards HBA because they are in the same business and they bumped heads in the business world. And so he recused himself from voting on if Ishbia should be an NBA owner due to this. So I actually respected Dan Gilbert for that. He's actually seems to be a lot better, at least publicly, of a person um, ever since the Comic Sans letter against LeBron on his exit. Um, so kudos to him for that. But anyway, Ishbia gets in about six months. What does he do basically immediately? He starts spending money. He gets very aggressive very quickly. Um, he makes sure that he has Kevin Durant locked in. He commits. He keeps. He, he, no, I'm sorry. He booms the Kevin Durant trade, shocks the entire NBA. Uh, it's right after Kyrie is traded, forced his way to Dallas. Uh, he booms the NBA, drops a lot of the Suns' future assets off, and grabs Kevin Durant. Goes for the rest of the season with that, or whatever. And he comes out of the season. He does. He decides to part ways with Monty Williams. Very highly respected coach. Monty Williams goes and gets a hundred million dollar, eight six year hundred million dollar contract from the Detroit Pistons along with some other benefits for his uh, wife. Uh, so kudos from Armani and the Pistons for getting that done. Um, but he parts ways with Armani Williams. He brings in Frank Vogel. Immediately the question starts to run. Okay, so now that we know that James Jones has won the power struggle in the organization between him uh, and Monty Williams, along with Monty clashing heads with some of the players, uh, DeAndre Aiden specifically, um, you know, what's going to be the what's gonna, what's gonna be the situation in Phoenix now? with uh, Matt Ishbia under his helm. Does he continue to spend? Because as we know this offseason, and it kind of speaks to a lot of the free agent deals, looking at how they're actually structured, a lot of them kept in mind the new second tax floor. Um, which if you guys don't know, the luxury tax now has two floors. So it had one floor that people just blew past it. It didn't matter, they didn't care. Now there's a second luxury tax floor that's very, very... It penalizes teams if they do it. Like it hurts. Now it's it's increased money you have to spend on per tax dollar. It restricts your second round picks trade. You cannot accept. You cannot use cash in a deal. Um, you have to go dollar for dollar in a trade. You have to go player for player and dollar for dollar in a trade. Like it basically, if you blow past the second, if you one dollar over into the second tax floor, that's your roster. It's almost impossible to flip if you're gonna do something. The NBA has gotten so popular now with trading second-round picks. And to me, second-round picks aren't valuable in the NBA. At least they weren't for a very, very long time because I mean, most people thought a late first-round pick was not valuable. You know, like it wasn't worth, if you weren't going to pick in the lottery, you, you want to trade your pick because it wasn't worth it to you. But now we've seen so many. This team gave up four second-round picks and that team gave up five second-round picks. And you saw these massive trades now with like second-round picks. Like, um, gear at the same five second round picks got moved around in like a span of three or four days. 
you know, some second round picks become popular now. Well, you can't even use those in a deal. So most people thought, okay, Phoenix is either going to have to have no bench or Matt HBA has to decide, screw it. I've got Kevin Durant who's in his mid-30s and I'm just going to go for broke. Uh, whatever, I'm a new owner. I got a lot of money. I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to just go for it. And that's what he decided to do. He brings in Frank Vogel, defensive-minded head coach, um, who led the Lakers to the championship in the bubble. And then he goes and makes the big trade for Bradley Beal. Okay. This Bradley Beal trade, as we know, ships Chris Paul to the Washington Wizards. Um, and the Bradley Beal, that, that was the big context to make the money work, and then they added filler. Chris Paul, when he got traded to the Wizards, he never really spoke about. He was he doing a, he was doing a media tour actually for his new book, and he never really spoke about being in Washington, playing in Washington, was playing from Washington. Plus, everybody was interviewing him. Brian Windhorst um, was the main one I listened to. Kept being like, "I don't think you're ever gonna play in Washington. Like, I don't think you're ever gonna play one dribble in Washington." It didn't make sense for the Washington Wizards. Either you're gonna redirect Chris Paul immediately, or you're gonna trade him at the trade deadline and get a massive trade exception. It does you no good to have Chris Paul on your roster all season because he's going to win you some games he shouldn't. You're going to be paying $37 million, and you could probably use Chris Paul as a fat expiring contract to get a piece, right? And Washington's in a situation they're trying to rebuild, and it made no sense to have Chris Paul. Turns out, Chris Paul immediately gets redirected. It took a couple of days, but gets redirected to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Poole, which for the Wizards, Makes ideal sense. Jordan Poole, with only having to share the ball with Kyle Kuzma, he's probably going to score you 25 points a game. He may get 27, 28 points a game because he's going to get 25, 26 shots a game. 10 to 12 of them are going to be threes. You know what I'm saying? He's going to get 25 to 28 points a game. He's probably an all-star to Washington because him and Kyle Kuzma are the only ones going to really be shooting the ball. Danny Advia, not even about him. I can't even name anybody else on the Wizards roster. Like Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole are going to be the ones shooting the ball. From Golden State's perspective, I don't get it, especially knowing now what we know now, like Dame's available, right? If you're Golden State, why didn't you go get Bradley Bill? Clear, like in, in my mind, like why not? Why not say, okay, Washington, we'll do Jordan, we'll do Jordan Poole, two first, Jonathan, either Kaminga or Moody, and then you can have four seconds. You know what I'm saying? And you go get Bradley Bill. Now that's a move. If they were to have done that, I would understand. Because then at that point, you would say, okay, Clay Thompson, look, we love you. You're no longer starting on this team. It's it's Steph, it's Bill, it's Wiggins, it's Dre, and it's Looney. That's a move for Washington. It's a move for Golden State that makes sense. The big, the biggest move is what do you do with, you know, Dame's of Dame popped out available. Dane from Oakland. Steph, Dame, Clay, Dre, Looney. You probably, I mean, or whatever. But you do some kind of combination where Dame's available. You may end up having to trade Wiggins to Golden, Wiggins to Portland to make the money work, but Dame's available. Trade Poole and Wiggins for Dame, Nurkic maybe, and a, lot, a, a bevy of first, a couple first round picks come back. You throw it in some seconds. Whatever, you make it work. Right, Dame's available. So now Golden State's in a position where what's Chris gonna do? Chris gonna come off the bench. He's 
1,600 games in. He's 1,600 game starts. Like, he's never come off the bench. Neither, I mean, Clay hasn't for a decade. Dre hasn't for a decade. Stuff that I'm not even bringing stuff up. And Wiggins, you can, Chris can't do what Wiggins can do. Like, I don't understand the trade for Golden State. And they're printing jerseys. They've introduced them. Like, he's going to be a warrior this year. When he was traded to the Warriors, he began to speak about, oh, yeah, he's talked to the team about how to partner to win a title. Like, they're working together in this situation. I don't necessarily get it, but hey. Um, let's go to go to say what they decided to do. They got older and smaller. Granted, they come off Chris contract in a year. And they don't have to pay Jordan Poole that for you. $140 million contract, which, by the way, I said it was a bad contract. But his Jordan Poole fans didn't listen to me. Um, and so now the Warriors, remember when they were saying Draymond spoke about his podcast, the Warriors were trying to do something that was hard to do, right? And it was to be old and go win a title and develop youth. The quote unquote success story out of that was supposed to be Jordan Poole. Oh, yeah. Okay. We tried to trade Wiseman. Moody sucks. I'm just being honest. He's not a he's not a NBA level. I, he's not. That's not. That didn't work. Kaminga's fine, but kind of a one or two tool kind of player. Not not really a guy you build around. So the youth movement missed, except for Jordan Poole. When Steph's not in, he's twenty five a night, hundred forty million dollar contract. Like it works, and then you dump him because of this new second luxury tax floor, which. By the way, the Warriors are one of the team it targeted, along with the Clippers. And now the Suns. You dump Jordan Poole for old Chris Paul. I don't understand that logic. In my view, well, you had to move him because of Draymond Green's punch. Which, by the way, doesn't happen to an older vet. See him? Like, you tried to thread this needle? That's really nobody does it. It's not because it's hard to... It's not just because it's hard to win and develop. It's hard to... Mix the old guard with the new guys trying to move the old guard out the way. And if some of the rumored stuff Jordan Poole said to Draymond was said, that's something he wouldn't say. That's something a 30-year-old wouldn't say to Draymond as opposed to a hot, brash 23, 24-year-old who knows in about four to five months, $140 million is coming my way. Like, it's already in escrow. It's already in an account. I'm just going to draw to me every couple of weeks or have an NBA can pay every week, whatever. Like... That's different, right? And so from a chemistry standpoint, the Warriors had to do what they had to do. Now, we've gotten out of that business, the Suns-Warriors business. Let's move into the big piece of what I want to talk about. And, of course, you've got teams like the Mavericks are making moves. So we're going we're gonna, to go forward and then go backwards. We're going to come back to Damon Harden. I want to end with them because I have a trade proposal that solves the NBA. Period. It solves the NBA right now as it sits. Everyone's going to leave happy. No one's going to be upset. You may have to tinker with it, maybe redirect a guy or two. If, uh, But I'll explain that later, right? We're going to go forward to go back. So a few teams have been making moves in this agency. Obviously, I haven't talked to you guys off agency. Um, so we're going to, uh, like I said, tinker with uh, some teams. We're going to talk about some teams that Made a couple of moves in free agency, right? But we uh, made a couple moves in free agency. My apologies. And going to discuss those teams. So the first thing I want to talk about quickly is the Dallas Mavericks. 
they made a couple of sweet moves. They re-signed Kyrie Irving, three years, $120 million. His mom negotiated the contract. She becomes the first black female agent ever um, to start to finish negotiating NBA contract. Uh, Kyrie also ends up with Anta, a uh, five-year, massive money, um, and becomes creative director. So now Kyrie Irving has the ability to sign people to the Anta Kyrie Irving line, sort of like how Jordan um, can sign. So Jordan is a subsidiary of Nike. Jordan isn't, isn't its own company. Kyrie Irving now is going to be able to sign people to wear Kyrie's. Um, so that's that's pretty dope. Um, and also the Mavs um, get Grant Williams from the Boston Celtics and a signing trade. He ends up netting a four-year, $54 million deal, uh, one of those mid-level exception contracts. And then they signed Dante Exum, a former lottery pick of the Jazz a few years ago. Uh, ultimately flamed out in Utah, didn't really work. You know, overseas, actually just finished coming off, I believe, an Italian championship. Um, and they, all, they put in an offer sheet for Matisse Thibel, three years, $33 million, but that was matched by the Portland Trailblazers. So Thibel is still in Portland, uh, which Portland's confusing me, but we'll talk about them in a couple of minutes. The Houston Rockets, uh, with their new head coach, Ime Adoka, uh, they made a few moves, most notably... Um, financial-wise, committing about $210 million to Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Um, for Fred Van Vliet still is on paper. It's three years, $130 million. But the first two years are guaranteed. Uh, the third year is a uh, team option. Um, so it was really two years, $84-ish million. Uh, and the third year is a team option. Um, Dylan Brooks, however, who many people thought after the Grizzlies disaster and the public persona getting smashed and his public relations going into the toilet, many people thought that Dylan Brooks would be another one of those mid-level exception guys. Um, four years, 54 was the common number um, for those MLE guys to get the max amount of years they could get and a max amount of money. Why trap yourself into a contract like that? It gets fishy dynamically. But four years, 54 was pretty much people thought he was going to get he ends up going four years, 84, uh, with the Houston Rockets, and that could be incentivized up to 90. Um, so great for his agent, great for Dylan Brooks personally. Um, he Brooks himself likens the Rockets now to the Grizzlies about two, three years ago. He was like, oh, I look at Jalen Green and I see young Ja. I look at um, Sangoon and Jabari Smith and I see a Jaron Jackson. You know, I, you know, he was saying he was just pointing out all these similarities with the young Rockets as opposed to now uh, the uh, former young Grizzlies, Ime Adoka and Taylor Jenkins. You know, it's kind of like this organization, organization that had success in the past. The Houston Rockets had a Kemalaja one, obviously, but they had the James Harden years where they were consistently in the playoffs. The James Harden, Chris Paul year where they're Chris Paul hamstring away from um, potentially the NBA Finals. And then, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies have the grindhouse years. Um, and they have other stuff in their, in their past, but their most recent past is the grindhouse years um, with Zebo and Tony Allen and uh, Marcus Saul and Mike Conley. Um, so those guys in Memphis. But the interesting part about the Rockets' big signings is that for Ime Adoka's logic, I only understand the Dylan Brooks signing. What do you mean? Dylan Brooks is a defender. 
Ime Adoka wants to play defense. That's why the Joe Missoula hire and retention in Boston and their subsequent moves, we'll talk about them a little later, make a little to no sense for me because Boston was built for defense and then they get this offensive coach and they can't play defense anymore. Ime Adoka had a bunch of offensive guys, Jalen Green, um, KJ Martin, uh, Josh Christopher, I believe, is on that team. Um, Singoon, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith, a bunch of guys who can score the ball, a bunch of young guys who put the ball in the hole. So he went and got a veteran defender in Dylan Brooks. Makes sense. Probably overpaid a lot, but it makes sense. Like Dylan Brooks is probably getting four year 54. If you go to four year 60, he probably takes it and runs with it. Um, but who knows? You know, Dylan Brooks comes in, it makes sense. Fred Van Vliet is a small, inefficient, non-defensive playing guard. And I assume he starts. Right? I'm fine with that. I assume he starts. I'm okay with that. He's not an efficient shooter. So when Jalen Green has the ball, there's this six-foot guy on the the wing who shot 39% last year. That is the second lowest percentage shooting in the NBA last season for players who qualify. You know his only shooter in the NBA worse than Fred Van Vliet? His new Rockets teammate, Dylan Brooks. They are the only two players in the NBA to shoot below 40% for a decently high volume shooter. And that's why I say for those who qualify. They're decently high volume shooters. They're the only two in the league to go below 40%. And the Rockets have given them about $210 million contractual value. And of course, Fred Van Vliet has the team option in year three. I don't get that one. I really don't. I don't understand that at all. Makes no sense to me. Don't understand it a little bit. But hey, we will see, I guess. Um, the Lakers retooled, reload to LeBron's approval because he announced in the SPC he wasn't retiring. And he was also sharing every post about uh, the Lakers' new acquisitions and his new teammates and his old teammates coming back. Um, so Rob Palenka re-signed D'Angelo Russell to a two-year $37 million deal with no trade kickers in it. And D'Lo basically waived his implied no trade clause. Um, and so he's now tradable. Rui Hachimura is back with the Lakers. Austin Reeves got the best contract you could possibly get from the Lakers without another team offering him. Um, now it's four years, 54, but he has a team player option in year four. He has a 15% trade kicker. He has all kinds of stuff in his contract. Everything the Lakers could give him legally, Austin Reeves got. Um, and so he got his payday. And then they go out and sign Gabe Vincent, three years, 33. Jackson Hayes got a two-year contract with the team option. Torian Prince is a Laker now as well. Um, and then, of course, like I said, like Darvin Ham said, his big weapon is still around. And that is LeBron James uh, decided that he wasn't going to retire, which I didn't think he was. I spoke about it when he first put on his um, showmanship after the series and kind of dangled in the air retirement. I knew he wasn't going anywhere. Um, and so kudos to Rob Palenka and the Lakers for putting that team together. That's going to be a pretty dangerous team. Oh, and also Jerry Vanderbilt's back. Um, so that's going to be a pretty dangerous team for them. They have a couple of roster spots open or a roster spot open. Um, and I want to keep it open because they did a good job with their mid-level exception. The only person on it is Gabe Benson. He took 11 of the 12.4, which means in the buyout market, you can offer the vet men plus the rest of the exception for a financial. So 
when team when a person gets bought out usually if they make 27 million dollars um they'll give back the vet men they'll give back 2.1 2.4 whatever the million dollars they'll just say you can keep it because when they sign their next contract they're going to get it back anyway so it's kind of a way to okay the team saves three million dollars and I'm gonna get three million dollars in my veteran minimum contract. I will not two million dollars usually. I'm gonna get two million dollars my next contract. I make my same thirty million dollars anyway. Now the Lakers have the advantage of they can go to that guy and say, "Okay, get that two million dollars back. We'll give you two million dollars back plus another million with the MLE. That could be the difference between a knockdown shooter going to Milwaukee or going to the Lakers. That backup big man who you know AD doesn't really want to play center. Maybe that backup big man decides, man, I was. Christian, that could be Christian Woods' contract. Christian Woods signed for the minimum. You still have a minimum spot plus the MLE. Like it could be very interesting in Lakerland um, with that last thing. And like I said, being able to keep about 1.4 million dollars with that mid-level exception available. Um, and just a few people who cashed in. Oh, sorry, Boston made some moves. Uh, they acquired more assets along with they made the Chris Porzingis move. We spoke about that, or at least think we spoke about that. Um, but they made the Chris Stats Porzingis move. I could be wrong. But they made the Chris Stats Porzingis move. Um, and they also signed him to a two-year, $60 million contract extension. Um, pretty much locking them into their roster. They're way above that second tax floor. Especially when Jalen Brown signs his deal. Um, his, okay, Jalen Brown expected to sign his deal. Um, which would be a supermax in for without something going unforeseen. He'll sign his supermax. And then Jalen Tatum will sign his next year, and they'll be way above the cap, but they're going for broke. They're going for a title. It's one of those things where I feel like if they win this year, next year, they sign and trade Porzingis out, and they just try to retool around Brown and Tatum, but they're going for broke. It kind of one of those things where if in two years you don't hold you don't hold a title, you blow it up and you move on. Um, kind of rebuild it. Boston doesn't usually rebuild, but they did after Larry Bird retired. Um, they did again after the big three was traded to the, the Nets. That's how they ended up with Jason Tatum. Um, they did after Bill Russell ultimately retired. So they can rebuild. They just prefer to retool. The Lakers more have a hit famous history retooling as opposed to rebuilding. Um, but, you know, it, I think in two years, if the Celtics don't win a title, they just blow it up. It doesn't suit them. Um, to continue to pay a lot of money, especially once you get past that second luxury tax apron, um, just to lose, basically. Um, so that is something that the boss and subject should look for. But a few people cash in uh, big time contractually. Um, Bruce Brown signed two years, 45-ish million dollars with the Indiana Pacers. He was thought to be an MLE contender. Um, he won those four-year, 54 deals. It was his first payday, so people thought he would get that. But it's two years, 45-ish million dollars. There's an option in the second year, and I can't remember if it's team or player, but there's definitely an option in that second year. I think it's team, though. Um, Desmond Bain, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, and Anthony Edwards all signed rookie-designated extensions. Um, However, Ball, Halliburton, and Edwards can go up to $260 million. Uh, Desmond Bain can go up to $207. Actually, but before I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 207, but let me uh, double check that one second again. 
something I should know because I definitely posted it on Justin Time Sports social media. Um, so one second. Oh, Dallas also has Seth Curry. I mean, Dallas making moves. They also got Seth Curry. Um, totally forgot about that. So my apologies to Seth Curry. Um, one second. Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain, yes. It's five years, 207, because he didn't get the designated max. He just got the rookie. He got the rookie max extension. He didn't get the designated match. Um, Sabonis contract is actually what they call a renegotiation and extend. So, and the NBA has a clause where in the final year of your contract, if your team has so much money available, they can do what they call a renegotiation of your contract. And then you can extend off the new number. You don't have to extend off the old number. So, Miles Turner did it last year um, and kind of knocked him out of a multitude of trades. He renegotiated way higher and then extended off that. Sabonis did it too. And his renegotiation and extension ends up being worth five years, $217 million. Um, Derrick Rose is a Grizzly. So, you know, they were, they were making moves with the market. So, I got Marcus Martin, Derrick Rose. That's going to be their step point guards while uh, John Morant gets his life together. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Cam Reddish is a Laker as well in that group. Um, Oklahoma City Thunder making moves, facilitating trades. They now have, uh, the, you know, just 35 draft picks in the next seven years. Um, and they're going to run into a cap problem, so they need to get that figured out. But anyway, all of that is leading up to what I was about to say. We have a Damian Lillard who wants to be out of Portland into Miami. We have a James Harden who wants to be out of Philly. And it's looking like the Clippers. But I made this beautiful trade before he, that news came out. So I'm going to say that James Harden is available to go anywhere. Because, let's be honest, Harden wants the Clippers. But Harden also wants his money. So if a team can trade for him and he doesn't end up on the Clippers. But let's say he does this trade and he gets maxed out of his new location or near max. He'll be all right. So my trade is a four-team trade. And I may make another one similar. Um, now that I know Harden wants to play the Clippers, I'll try to make that work in my trade. But it's a four-team trade. This is just the players. Whatever pick compensation or swaps, whatever, I don't know. Not worry about that right now. But this is a four-team trade. The Miami Heat is between the Miami Heat, Portland Trailblazers, New York Knicks, and Philadelphia 76ers. It solves the Dane problem, and it solves the Harden problem all in one fell swoop. The Miami Heat would acquire Damian Lillard. Based on this, through, through, the, through the NBA trade machine, they say they would increase their win projections by 12. The Portland Trailblazers will end up with Tyler Hero, Evan Fournier, and Emmanuel Quickly. So, what this does for Portland? It loses seven wins for them, so it puts them in a better chance to win the lottery. It gives Tyler Hero... He's a very tradable player, which is the player I say they may end up bouncing out to, let's say, a Brooklyn. Evan Fournier is a good vet. Doesn't really need the ball. Not really used to playing either. And you need something for your salary cap floor. And Emmanuel quickly is a guy you can extend. So if you were, if you were comfortable playing Scoot and Simons and Dame, Scoot, Simons, and quickly, while not being as good, quickly is a guy you can extend as well. You can have on your team long term. The New York Knicks would land and then immediately extend James Harden. That trade for them ups their wins by four, according to the analysis of the trade machine. And then the Philadelphia 76ers would end up with Duncan Robinson and R.J. Barrett. 
it gives them another left hand ball handler score for Joel Embiid and a knockdown shooter because you lost Seth Curry. Now you turn Seth Curry into Duncan Robinson. You turn James Harden into a less annoyed RJ Barrett. And they lose nine wins, however, projection. But I think they would end, they would end up with a couple of firsts. Portland would end up with a bunch of firsts. Miami ends up with no additional picks. New York may end up with a couple of swaps because New York has like nine tradable firsts. So they may end up giving away four of those. Um, the Heat ends up giving their three firsts to Portland. Swaps fly across the board. Second round picks fly across the board, whatever. But that is the gist of the trade. Um, so like I said, they end up with Miami ends up with Dame. Portland's up with Hero, Fournier, and Quickly. Hero probably gets redirected to Brooklyn. New York ends up with, the Knicks end up with James Harden. And the 76 end up with R.J. Barrett and Duncan Robinson. Um, so that is a way for everyone to get kind of what they want. Harden gets a big market and he gets extended. Dame ends up in Miami. Portland gets pieces to build around and tradable assets like a Tyler Hero. And Philly ends up with R.J. Barrett. And um, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson plays Seth Curry. R.J. Barrett is 80%, 85% of James Harden these days with a lot less of the baggage. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. for the long-winded first segment, but I haven't talked to you guys in about a month. Um, there was a lot of news I had to get out there. Like I said, I definitely wanted to highlight that four-team trade in the NBA that I really want to see happen. Um, and if you guys want to hear more about that, of course, it's back up about five minutes, and you'll be able to get it from the Jump Street. Um, but now we're going to shift into the NFL and talk about what's happening there. Um, a lot of news surrounding two key free agents. So it's the NFL free agency period. Um, not nearly usually as explosive as the you know, NBA period. Um, usually it's a lot of teams because of the stuff like the franchise tag um, and because of stuff, um, just the general culture of football. Usually it's not nearly as explosive as the NBA. Not a lot of movement, not from top guys. Um, the equivalency to a Fred Van Vliet leaving um, or I'm trying to think of some guy like Kevin Durant getting traded from Brooklyn or Bradley Beal getting traded from Washington to the Phoenix Suns in the NFL is like Kirk Cousins getting traded from the Vikings to the insert team here because they're starting to rebuild. You know, that sort of thing. It doesn't really, that doesn't really flow correctly as well to the NBA um, as the NFL culture. So, when you get a lot of talent in the NFL, however, floating around for agency, a lot of these guys end up signing one-year deals. Um, guys like DeAndre Hopkins. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to sign a multi-year contract, as do I think Dalvin Cook. But there's guys like Jadavion Clowney, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, to name a few, that have not found homes yet that I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure are going to sign one-year kind of prove-it deals. Now, if you're Zeke, you led the league in rushing one year. Uh, you're being a pro bowler. You've been an all-pro. If you're... Leonard Fournette, you've got a Super Bowl championship. You've been a pro bowler. 
Um, Jadavion Clowney, number one pick in high, number one high school prospect in his class, number one draft pick. Um, it was supposed to be the other dominant bookend in J.J. Watt. Injuries and some off-the-field stuff has gotten in the way. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that I think is a 12-sack guy waiting on it, um, especially in this modern NFL. Um, so a lot of talent out there. But we're going to focus on D-Hop, DeAndre Hopkins, a.k.a. Nuke, a.k.a. D-Hop, and Dalvin Cook. Um, so DeAndre Hopkins, man, news has been swirling about D-Hop probably every day. Um, probably every day since he um, got out of Arizona. And so um, he was released by Arizona, of course. Um, and now he is trying to land his next team. Um, and so that's always been kind of interesting because it's one of the situations where it's like, what do you do with the DeAndre Hopkins? If you're DeAndre Hopkins, what do you do? Um, your whole career, you've been one of the higher paid guys. You reset the market so much um, in football at the receiver position that no one's still gotten to your average annual value yet. You signed that deal years ago. And Tyreek Hill with his big extension, maybe Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson passes it. Um, but no one has gotten to it yet. Um, and so DeAndre Hopkins on May 26th was released by the Arizona Cardinals. Um, he's gone multiple visits. Um, he went to the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots is the two biggest, uh, places he's went. He's also reportedly touched base with the Buffalo Bills. He's also reportedly uh, touched base with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, personally, I'm just going to be honest, no one wants to see him with the Chiefs. I don't. I don't want to see him with the Chiefs. Um, that would be beyond any fear of Patrick Mahomes. And as a Patriots fan, I don't want to see him with the Bills. I think ultimately he lands between the Titans and the Patriots. Um, now, the, the, the Titans offer a few days ago, I reported as well, a couple other guys that it was deemed as quote-unquote more aggressive. Um, to me, more aggressive signals, more guaranteed, fully guaranteed dollars. You can have guaranteed language in, especially if it's a multi-year contract. Oh, if you're on a roster starting league year, your salary is guaranteed. Or, you know, if you got, let's say, $16 million, guaranteed, $16 million in 2024, that becomes fully guaranteed if you're on the roster the first day of the league year. If not, it's $5 million, whatever. You know what I'm saying? That they can play with the guaranteed language. To me, more aggressive triggers more fully guaranteed. So when you sign your name on the dotted line, let's say it's for three years, $60 million. You sign your name on the dotted line, $40 million fully guaranteed. That owner has to take that money and put it into escrow. He doesn't have to do that with guaranteed language money. He has to do it, let's say, at the start of the league. Yeah, he has to put that money in escrow. But he doesn't have to do it when you sign your name. That's how your signing bonus instead of a fully guaranteed dollars is in uh, the contract. And so I think that's why the Titans are more aggressive. Also, the Titans know that if D-Hop is smart, which I'm going to say he is, he's going to look around the situation. He's going to say, okay, Julio Jones with an upper tight. Didn't go well for him. A.J. Brown starts popping off a receiver and being one of those dominant guys after being a Titan. Randy Moss ended up a Titan. That didn't go well for him. Jerry Rice, I believe, I seen a photo of him, ended up a Titan. Didn't go well for him either. 
So, um, and I, I know Randy Moss for sure, and of course, Julio Jones for sure, ended up at Tennessee Titans. That didn't go well for their careers. Um, they received a position. And I personally think Julio and um, Randy Moss had better quarterbacks. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is a placeholder. Malik Willis, who the team is thinking about cutting, is outplaying Will Levis, who the team is thinking about keeping cutting Willis for. He's outplaying Levis right now. I've never believed in Will Levis in college. Um, his slide in the draft was not surprising to me. It was a little surprising to me because of how much smoke that the draft analysts pumped out into the sky about what's going to happen with Will Levis. Um, I mean, he was talked about at one point being the second quarterback off the board. I mean, it was a lot of energy for Will Levis. No, no, he's getting past the Raiders, all this other stuff. Um, he ended up being a second-round pick to the Titans. Um, but Willis played horrible last year, and he's out playing Levis. It's, it's just one of those things where it's like, dude, D-Hop, like, you've made money. No, I get it. I'm, I'm a big proponent of you never have too much of it. You've made money. Go win. In Houston, when you guys were starting to figure out how to win, DeAndre Hopkins gets into his nonsense. Patrick Mahomes shows up. I mean, it's, you have him down 24-0 to 99% of quarterbacks ever the game's over. And it wasn't. <laughs> Mahomes actually won that game convincingly. Um, kind of going away in the second half. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, so you had him down and you didn't capitalize that. And then after that, the team kind of falls apart. You end up in Arizona with a young guy in Kyler with the wrong head coach and Cliff Kingsbury. Falls apart there. So now at this point, but you but you we completely reset the market. They got like three years, 81 million. It was some outrageous, like $27 million of average annual value for a receiver when no one else in the league was making 20. It was ridiculous what he got in Arizona. But he made his money, right? And so now I look at it from a from a D hop perspective of okay. The Patriots don't have the best quarterback. That's Patrick Mahomes. So if it's purely about winning, it's easy. Sign on one year, $7 million deal with the Chiefs, go win a Super Bowl, catch 80-85 passes for Patrick Mahomes for 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns, and then go into the market and say the biggest deal wins because I got my ring already. You can go to the Bills. You and Stephon Days are the most, the best duo in football bar none. It passes to me, to me, Chase and Higgins is the best duo right now. Just one and two receiver. I, I can't think of anybody better than Chase and Higgins. Um, Jefferson and Thielen had a case, but Thielen's gone now. So Chase and Higgins are the best duo in the league, in my opinion, just top of my head kind of thing. Williams and Allen have a case in Los Angeles. Um, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Hill, though Kelsey's technically not a re- technically not a receiver, that was the best duo, but whatever. Waddle and Hill have a case in Miami, but... To me, off the top of my brain, Higgins and uh, Chase is the best duo. You go to Buffalo, you're the best duo. To me, D-Hop is top three. Diggs is top five. Or Diggs and D-Hop are both top six. You got two of the top six receivers in the league. So at that point, Josh Allen has Dalton Kincaid. He has a uh, smaller cook, a uh, young James Cook, D-Hop and, and Diggs. And that's Gabe Davis. Like That's just asking for a recipe of, again, a situation you can go there two years, you know, or one year, $8 million, another $5 million in quote-unquote unreachable incentives, fully guaranteed the $8 million, and go play football kind of thing. And then, again, I win my ring. Now I go to the market. What's up? What about what about Cincinnati? Cincinnati has to do something with these young guys. Chase is going to get his money. So who's leaving Higgins a boy? I think it's Boyd. Burroughs used to having three, three people. 
I say you call up somebody who needs a receiver. You trade him Tyler Boyd away for third round pick. You give D Hop Boyd whatever Boyd's salary is, plus a little extra on the back end. And you have Chase D Hop in hands. Like there's multitude of ways I think D Hop can go, but let's just stick with the Patriots Titans angle. The Patriots the obvious choice. They got the better quarterback. They're more stable. They have a better football team. And the Patriots are a really weird lateral to Chandler Jones away or Ramondre Stevenson goal line fumble away from being in the playoffs last season. Either or, you know. So, and with a defensive, not even great coordinator, not even a great defensive coordinator calling offensive plays as the OC, and then the special teams coordinator, former special teams coordinator, who's a horrible head coach in Joe Drudge, as the quarterback coach. It just wasn't it wasn't beneficial to Mac Jones at all, and yet they still put together a pretty decent offensive season. Which is why I say D Hop needs to be in New England. Bill O'Brien is there. Ring any bells? Bill O'Brien was the head coach in Houston when, when D Hop was lighting up the universe. Bill O'Brien's there. Bill O'Brien was Mac Jones' offensive coordinator. They have a good running back, which they didn't really have in Houston. Arian Foster kind of fell off when he went vegan and says me probably shouldn't say it, but fell off and went vegan. Um, got some injuries and was out of the league very shortly. They've got Juju Smith-Schuster now. They've got a couple of weapons that they can kind of spread the ball. Mike Gusecki, um, Hunter Henry. You know, they're putting the offensive line in New England. The defense is over there. Like, it's a much better situation in New England. And your head coach is better. Want to know how I know? The head coach of Tennessee played for the head coach of New England. I mean, so, um, if I'm D-Hop and I have those two choices, I'm a New England Patriot two-year math big money or a three-year pretty decent money with a lot of guarantees and some incentives in it um it's how i kind of picture the deal in my head um so that is how I, that would go from d hop if i'm dalvin cook the exact opposite advice i want the bag i'm a running back i want the biggest bag i can get d hop's made a hundred million dollars in contracts or just about a hundred million dollars in contracts he's made his money dalvin cook's Rookie contract, and then he got like half the second contract, and he was out. If I'm D- Dalvin Cook, I want the best possible bag I can get with the most winning possible. What does that mean? So for team, let's say it's Miami. They offer seven million dollars a year, two years, two years, eighteen million dollars, twelve and fully guaranteed. You're gonna win in Miami. You're gonna put up yards. You're gonna put up stats in Miami because Miami's built for that with that zone run scheme to put up numbers. Two is going to be there, hopefully. Reek and Waddle blow the top off every defense they've ever seen. You know what I'm saying? You have a chance to be really, really, really special as the running back there because you have a lot of space to operate. So somebody like Carolina may go two years, 22, but Carolina's not going to win anything. But you're a running back. You need to get as much money as possible. That's why I don't think it's realistic for D-Hop and Dalvin to go together because Dalvin said he wants to do with D-Hop. Problem is, there's no feasible location they can land. Ironically, the only place I can think of off the top of my head is either Houston or Arizona. <laughs> Two of D Hop's former teams. Um, because Arizona doesn't have a running back in the building and they don't really have a number one receiver. Now D Hop's gone. Houston traded the number one receiver away to Brandon Cooks to the Dallas Cowboys and they don't have a running back. Like Michael Pierce, I think, is their running back. Like, so it's two of D Hop's former organizations. Um, I'm trying to think any other potential locations. Kansas City couldn't pay either one of them, but they take them both. But they couldn't pay either one of them. 
So, was, I mean, then Kansas City got Pacheco. And they're trying to figure out what to do with Kyle Davis Delaire. Um, so, it, to me, it's unrealistic for them to try to play together. Um, I just think that it would be dope if they could. That's a hell of a one-two free agency punch. That's like, you know, getting two stars in the NBA at one time. Like, that's a hell of a one-two punch. As far as offensive talent, I just don't think it's feasible because I think D-Hop's going to go for a mix, or should go for, rather, a mix of bag and winning, but leaning towards more of the winning. And I think Dalvin Cook should be focused on his bag and if wins come spectacular. Um, because, again, he's a running back, so if he can get the most guaranteed, most fully guaranteed dollars when he signs his name, should be the place he goes. Um, probably perfect landing spots for both. From a football perspective, is the Chiefs, for both of them. From a, in terms of like what they need to do to win championship, to cheat for both of them. From a numbers perspective, Dalvin Cook to Buffalo, DeAndre Hopkins to New England. From a bag perspective, Dalvin Cook to oh well, no, no, no. from bag perspective, Dalvin Cook to probably Miami, and D Hop to New England or Tennessee. I'm sorry, Diab Tennessee. So it's just that I'm saying there's no really way besides they both go to the Chiefs or both go to the Bills where their lives really can cross for what they should go for, given their positional and contractual value. Given their positional value and their contractual history. Um I just don't see besides like I said, besides them both ring chasing in New England or both ring chasing in Buffalo, I don't really see a spot where they can land um together um and produce uh, and get and get financial gain from it as well. Uh, speaking of a future that apparently is uncertain, um, Bill Belichick reports to the Boston Globe. His future is unclear, according to a few of uh, his job security, rather, is unclear, according to some close friends of New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick. Uh, I talked about this yesterday um, on Twitter. Um, he's won six Super Bowls, been to eight as a Patriots head coach. He's won eight total. He's two as a defensive coordinator as the New York Giants. Um, this to me feels like one of those stories that comes out to make the movie, right? Belichick, age 71, I think. Friends don't know about his future. The organization was trying to push him out the back door. He can't win without Tom. Blah, 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 blah. And he wins the Super Bowl. And that's how the video starts. Remember when Tom Brady put out the video right after they won? With a bunch of Nick Wright saying he was old. He heard everything based on the video. I think he even said, I heard everything. He had Shannon in it, Nick Wright in it. He had ESPN in it. Like anybody who he was a major voice that spoke publicly about him, anti him, anti his age, anti his team. He put it on the video. But basically the message is like, I heard it and thank you for the motivation. I think this is... A, um, I think this is a motivational tactic. Kind of a, okay, how many people bite this? Because the Patriots believe in bulletin board material. Everyone does, but the Patriots are known for bulletin board material. To me, all year, this is a bulletin board material. It should be outside and right inside the door of his office with the Boston Globe headline that reads Belichick's future uncertain. Like, that should be inside of his door. That's the kind of motivation he feeds on. That's kind of how I took it. I think Belichick walks when Belichick decides to walk. I don't see Robert Kraft ever forcing him out of the back door. 
Um, and so I think he walks when Belichick decides to walk. But it's one of those situations, it's one of those stories where someone's going to have to answer for it somewhere. And I think it's something, it's a distraction piece. It's something people run with in the middle of July. Well, you know, what are we, a month before camp? We're in camp. We're a month before camp, two months before camp, whatever. Um, we don't play a football game for what's, two months. So it's a, a real football game, not the preseason. But we don't play a real football game for two months. So I think it's one of those things where people just run with the story um, because it's interesting. And, it's, you know, it's got some legs to it. 71 years old, not the best success without uh, Brady. Got some legs to it. Let's run it. Um, so kudos to the Boston Globe for running it. Whatever sourcing they got, I commend them as well. Um, but I just don't think it has much legs to it, if at all. Um, Quinnen Williams got the bag. Uh, four years and $98 million. Uh, with $66 million in guarantee language in the contract. So congratulations to Quinnen Williams. Uh, his brother is also on the Jets. Got paid three years, $18 million this year. So both of them are set for life. I'm sure Quinnen will help his brother whatever they need to. But I'm, I'm sure they're not doing the Morris twin trick. With a Morris twin, put all their money in one account. Um, but, you know, $18 million. Probably probably get another contract in the league. Um, and Quinn, of course, got the $98 million contract. So, shout out to both of them. Um, and then some quick hitters. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have brought back the cream, the cream circle uniforms. They would debut them this season. They will only wear them one time against the Detroit Lions. Memory served me correctly. Uh, Alvin Kamara, the New Orleans Saints, his case has been settled. Uh, if you guys remember 2022, he was involved in a domestic incident, not domestic incident, a, well, I guess, an incident in Las Vegas um, where he was seen on video, um, allegedly, I'm going to keep, I'm going to use that word to avoid lawsuit purposes, allegedly um, assaulting a gentleman in Las Vegas. Uh, the guy sued, no criminal charges, uh, or criminal charges were filed, the guy sued, um, and a Alvin Kamara ultimately pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor of breach of peace, um, and he will have to do community service um, along with hundred paying $100,000 in fines towards the victim's medical bills. Um, and then now he awaits his decision from the NFL regarding what suspension, if any, I'm sure there will be, um, will come down. Of uh, The New York Jets have been selected for hard knocks officially. I spoke about that on Twitter weeks ago, um, but it just became official yesterday, if I remember correctly. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was none too pleased about it. He was saying that hard knocks were shoved down their throat, but now they got to deal with it. But they're the most interesting team. They were the obvious pick. Now, the Lions reportedly was willing to accept it for a second year in a row if no one stepped up. Um, but the NFL chose the Jets. They're in New York. They have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and they dominated most of the offseason headlines with all of a sudden all these Packer players and Aaron Rodgers friends all of a sudden being you know Jets and so that's something I'm sure they're going to bring up you see Aaron Rodgers in Nathaniel Hackett's in Robert Salas in year two Zach Wilson's been removed from the starting job Sauce Gardner who many people are beginning to claim is the best corner in the league is now entering year two um, you see a lot of the Garrett Wilson Brees Hall coming back from injury Mekhi Becton trying to lose weight also coming back from injury Elijah Vera Tucker and the rest of the O-line trying to figure that out. Uh, Quentin Williams, fresh off his big bag. Um, his agent, Nicole Lynn, who was the first black female NFL agent. 
when she got we got the Jalen Kurtz contract, she tweeted out something along the lines of, has anyone seen a Brinks truck trying to locate one? And then she quoted it uh, when after the Quinn and Williams deal went public and said, don't worry, I found another one. Um, so kudos to her as well. Um, but, you know, all these different storylines in the Jets, and this shot the top of my head. I'm not even thinking about anybody on defense. I don't know where somebody's on defense so far as sauce. Like, this is going to be very interesting hard knocks. Um, so I'm excited about that. But they have some competition because Netflix has a released quarterback. This is amazing. Like, this is these this is hard knocks level access voluntarily though. So hard knocks sometimes guys when they do the interview they kind of snippy or whatever during this thing because they really don't want to do it. It's good for a young guy with a brand like Sauce. Oh my god, if he markets himself right. He's going to be a superstar after this. Um, you know, I'm thinking about a Quentin Williams, a big personality, a sauce. Um, a lot, Mekhi Becton could be one of those guys that could really turn his own narrative. Like, if you're a guy who's either a big personality or a, can turn on the can work a media room, oh, Hard Knocks is perfect for you because this is your chance to do it pretty much unabated. Quarterback was done voluntarily. And if you guys don't know, if you guys haven't watched it yet, uh, I'm halfway through episode two myself. And as a person who grew up wanting to play NFL quarterback, this is like the most all-access look besides hard knocks. And that's not really centered around the quarterback. That's centered around the team and you just hear the quarterback stuff. Um, And, of course, they're very protective. And I'm sure these guys had final edit rights um, to it. Or at least they've seen the episode that had to approve certain content, whatever. Like, I'm I'm 99% sure of that. But this is the most all-access look. It's actually so crazy that, like, Kirk Cousins in it, in the preview they show for it, says, like, this is the closest that like, people ever get. Like, they, they, if you're not an NFL quarterback, this is the closest you'll ever get to being. Besides, you know, of course, CFL, XFL, whatever. But this is the closest you'll ever get to being the NFL quarterback. And it's, and it's dope. And I always, those three guys, they're all into the year starters. You know, the three quarterbacks are Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota. And they found them all, and they followed them, all three of them last year. They're mic and their mics. Anytime they tap their chest, you can hear the mic <laughs> in their chest plate. They're mic'd up during the game. Patrick Mahomes went crazy on Max Crosby in week one. I mean, episode one, I'm sorry. We've seen Marcus Mariota. I mean, I'm only, I'm only episode and a half in. We've seen Marcus Mariota's wife's ultrasound. We hear how they've all met their wives. We hear how... Um, we're seeing their daily life. Uh, we're seeing, like, we've been through Kirk Cousins' house and all his memories. Um, we've talked about how Patrick Mahomes and his wife met. Uh, we've talked about um, different things. I think of Marcus, Marcus Mariota's background, being from uh, Hawaii and a Polynesian player and winning the Heisman and how he was pretty much disgusted being back in the University of Washington because it is a rival of Oregon. And I mean, it was just, I mean, it's all the stuff you see, and it's only the first episode and a half. Um... And it's kind of cool because you see it at all three levels. You see the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. His life as a quarterback is effectively perfect. He is 27. He turns 27 during the show. During this season, he's going to get his second Super Bowl ring, his second, third MVP. Like, he's on a trajectory as a quarterback to be the greatest. Right? Kirk Cousins is in the middle upper middle, but he's in the middle. And I always say Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback. Want to know why? Because Kirk Cousins usually in a ranking goes from 10 to 15. 
the names above him change, the names below him change. But he usually hangs out anywhere from 10 to 12. I actually had a friend of mine um, who's in this space as well. Um, but actually, I am a, I'm a friend of mine. He used to say the NFL is a bunch of Kirk Cousins. And now it's gotten pretty popular on TikTok. He didn't put on social media. He probably should have. But it's gotten pretty popular on TikTok that the NFL is just a bunch of Kirk Cousins. You know, there's fast Kirk Cousins and skinny Kirk Cousins and tall Kirk Cousins. But Kirk Cousins is actually a pretty good quarterback. And the NFL is a bunch of variations of him. Kind of like in the multiverse. If Kirk Cousins' life went a different way or whatever, he'd be that person. That's pretty much how it's set up to be, right? That's pretty much how Kirk... You know, Kirk's a pretty good quarterback. He's a guy I say he's routinely, to me, he's top 10 because everybody gets compared to him for the most part. If you blind resume his numbers, blind resume his performance, he ends up better than a lot of people who in their minds are better. And so I say he's a top 10 quarterback, right? And then you got Marcus Mariota, who had the number second pick. You know, Patrick Mahomes wasn't the first pick. Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick, drafted behind the second pick in the same draft. Marcus Mariota was the number two overall pick in his draft. It's on his third team. He loses his job during this. Like, you get to see all three levels. You get to see Mahomes go to the Super Bowl, Mariota lose his job, and Kirk Cousins have a pretty good year, which is what Kirk Cousins always does, right? And so you get the three perspectives of professional quarterbacking. Super Bowl champion, MVP, MVP of the season, lost his job and is trying to find another one average a pretty good solid year pro bowl level player lose the playoff game go home you know what i'm saying and it's and it's a pretty dope like i said i'm hooked on it um i pretty much the only thing stopping me from watching is that i want to talk to you guys again um and so that is a pretty pretty amazing great content so far uh but up next we're going to shift to best for last what's going to be the arrival of victor wendenyama So best for last, discussing San Antonio Spurs number one overall draft pick, uh, the seven foot three and a half, uh, barefoot seven foot five in shoes, um, big man, not a center, a forward apparently, um, Victor Wimbenyama's uh, arrival in the NBA Summer League. So of course, Wimby, um, as he's popularly called, I call him Vic, but whatever. I'm gonna go with Wimby for the sake for the purpose of that's what he's called so that's what I'm gonna call him um but Wimby um of course came over here with his French team Metropolitan 92 uh, to play the G League night he averaged like 40 in those games hit all kind of one foot threes and pulled up and was just absolutely dominating right and so many people thought myself included well I myself included at first he would come over in the summer league and do the same thing go get 30 get 30 again shut him down kind of thing right about an hour, hour and a half before the game, something changed. I changed. I think my mind. I said, you know, the first two minutes is going to tell us. Because at first you couldn't have told me he wasn't going to get 30 points, eight rebounds, block five shots, hit like four or five threes. Just run up and down the summer league court, right? I said, the first two minutes is going to tell us. Because I remember Brian Windhorst saying, 
Wimby will have stretches, even in France. Feeble ball, whatever, he'll have stretches of four or five minutes where he didn't do much. Kind of going down the court, he may make a layup, may block a shot, but he's not going to be a dominating force. And then he'll have four or five minutes where he's 16 points, six rebounds, two, three blocks, a couple of great passes. You know, he's a superstar. So I said, the first couple of minutes will tell us. I'm like, if he's aggressive early, he makes his first couple of threes, we may get a 35, 40 point event. I'm like, if he comes on, he's sluggish. He's slow and he's just not there all the way. We may get eight point, nine point of it, you know, just because it's one of those situations where he is a guy that can be sluggish and slow. And I was watching the first game and I broke down all four halves of his um, summer league career on my Twitter and Facebook as well. Um, as I was watching it, I said to myself, this isn't an environment for him. And I was trying to figure out what was the difference between the first Summer League game and the games against G League Ignite. Let's start off with style of play. The G League Ignite doesn't have the raw athleticism as some of the, not Scoot Henderson's there, but like something like Kai Jones dunked on. No one in G League Ignite is gonna do that. Also, stylist, he spoke about it. He said in America, people are flying. And I thought he meant flying as in, like, running fast. But, you know, he literally means flying. He was like, in Europe, it's a slower game. People are on the ground. He said, slower game, it's more physical. People are on the ground. Well, you got to get a lot more, whatever. He said, over here, people are flying, and the game is so fast. Threes are coming up from everywhere, etc. Now, that's that's one difference. Two, the teams he was on. He was on the, he was on the Spurs Summer League team versus Metropolitan 92. Metropolitan 92 was a real team. They had Trimont Water. They had his teammate Bilal Koulibaly. Um, they had guys who, it was a basketball team. They ran plays. They ran sets. They got Victor in certain spots. They knew what they wanted to do. They were used to playing with Victor. You know, they that's how they were, they were playing basketball. For the Summer League team, those guys are trying to get a roster spot. The only person on that team that played in the Summer League that's guaranteed a roster spot is Victor Wimbenyama and Champagne. Okay, he ended up having a four-year deal, so he's going to be on the roster. But out of the 12 people on the team, two of them have roster spots, Champagne and Victor. Everybody else is very easily cuttable, uh, very easily G League or worse. Um, and so, yeah, if it came down to I'm one-on-one and I have a shot, or I'm going to swing the ball to Victor in the post, I'm going to shoot it. Because if I make it, that could be, you know, a remembrance moment. I know Pops at these games. I know staff members at these games. I know all these fans are watching probably half the known world's watching basketball wise this is an opportunity for me to meet either make an nba roster a g league roster or to get a, a good european or chinese contract like or australian contract this is my chance so i'm gonna take this shot you know i get it's a two-on-one or three-on-two fast break if i got an angle i'm gonna go for the layup i'm not gonna throw the lot to victor what do you know what i'm saying like i'm gonna take this opportunity number two number three that's pressure like no one's ever seen for a month, two months, the kid's been compared to everybody. Kareem, LeBron, KD. Name a tall, skinny person. Dirt. Like, Anthony Davis. Like, people were saying by year two, he's KD plus 80. Like, that's ridiculous, right? It's pressure. Zion was the first player to ever sell out. And it wasn't directly to his game, but it's one of those the only game that made sense. Zion, when he came into the NBA from Duke to the Pelicans, sold out the summer league they did before. He's the first player to ever do. 
Games have been, days have been ultimately sellouts, but not the day before. Victor became the second player to ever do it. Victor sold two games out because Zion only played nine minutes in the first one, bumped knees, was out for the game after he stole the ball from Kevin Knox, dunked it, there was an earthquake, a lot of stuff happened that day. Victor sold out two days because he played two days later and they sold the second day out too. That's pressure like anyone ever seen before. He spoke about he was tired. He had a fatigue issue. He hadn't played out of basketball. Um, he'd only practiced with the team two days prior to going to Vegas. Um, he said basically for a month, since his French season ended, um, he barely played basketball for a month, month and a half. It's not something he's used to doing. He's a very routine kid, um, and they did it that way on purpose. He's been trained and raised that way. He's a very routine. They care about his sleep. They care about his diet. Um, and things of that nature. And so, you know, you kind of got a rough performance. Shots didn't go in. He blocked the ball well, but you kind of got a rough scoring performance. Had a couple of moments. Game two, he got an opportunity to get kind of in a routine. Okay, another day of practice. He got sleep in. He turned out a Michael Rubin party. He got his sleep in. He got his mind right. He got a little bit more used to the NBA style-ish, NBA-ish style of play up and down and up in the air and he dominated game two it wasn't a 50 point it wasn't even a 40 point but he had he knocked down threes pull up jumpers tip dunks to himself block shots laid the ball up that was more when Benyama now he's gonna have some issues he's trying to dribble I, Chet Holmgren does it too I don't get it um I know they're seven feet like Chet's like seven one Wimby's like seven five they're they're big guys for their size. Their handle's amazing. But when that ball comes down, it equals out the height because it's got to come back up. And that's a long time to come back up. Now, you see Chet's crouched over a little bit trying to dribble. Wimby is low for his size trying to dribble. But he still got so much time for that ball to come back up. He tried to go in lane multiple times dribbling and, you know, lost the ball. So they're going to have to work on him with that in the summer. He's going to have to get a real handle coach. going to work with him on how to get really, really low if that's what he wants to do. Um, he's listed as a forward, not a forward center, not a center. So I'm sure he's going to be on the perimeter a lot this year, um, especially that first year before he, while he adds his muscle. They're not going to want to get him beat up too, too badly. Um, so I'm sure he'll be spaced out from the rim at a pretty decent distance. Um, but all in all, I was very impressed by game two. Game two looked a lot like the Wimby that played uh, against G League Ignite for Metropolitan's 92. Especially some of the stuff I've seen you know, in the French League. It looked a lot like that that second game. But I'm very excited for his arrival. I'm very excited for him to be in the NBA. Um, he's another one of those European guys that, you know, in two or three years, we'll be like, oh, he's top five. And then the whole European, the whole top five is European guys. Um, so it's very excited for him. Popovich signs a five-year, $80 million contract extension right after um, right, in the, right after his first game. So he's already had an incident with a celebrity. Like, he's being Americanized pretty quickly. Um, so kudos to the Spurs for landing their next superstar. Um, kudos to Mbiyama for handling the bad game, bad first game with all the pressure with a pretty great second game. And then, of course, the Spurs shut him down. So we're not going to see him again on the court um, until game one in the Spurs uniform. So I'm sure we'll have all the cameras, all the media attention around the world uh, for his first NBA game. That is all I have for you today. 
Thank you guys for rocking out with me. Like I said, you guys will end up getting this tomorrow morning. I recorded this Friday back evening-ish. Uh, so you guys get this tomorrow morning. Shout out to Brandy Inescu uh, for, setting the, for setting the NBA and WNBA record for most points in a three-point shootout final round with 37. She only missed like two shots or three shots uh, the whole round. Crazy impressive. Um, all videos on my social. Um, but I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your owner.